The following message was recorded at Fountain of Life Fellowship in Fountain Valley, California. For more information, visit www.folfcrc.com. Revelation chapter 22, starting at verse 6. All right. The word of the Lord. And he said to me, These words are trustworthy and true. And the Lord, the God of the spirits of the prophets, has sent his angel to show his servants what must soon take place. And behold, I am coming soon. Blessed is the one who keeps the words of the prophecy of this book. I, John, am the one who heard and saw these things. And when I heard and saw them, I fell down to worship at the feet of the angel who showed them to me. But he said to me, you must not do that. I am a fellow servant with you and your brothers, the prophets, and with those who keep the words of this book, worship God. And he said to me, do not seal up the words of the prophecy of this book, for the time is near. Let the evildoer still do evil, and the filthy still be filthy, and the righteous still do right, and the holy still be holy. Behold, Jesus says, I am coming soon, bringing my recompense with me to repay everyone for what he has done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. Blessed are those who wash their robes so that they may have the right to the tree of life and that they may enter the city by the gates. Outside are the dogs and sorcerers and the sexually immoral and murderers and idolaters and everyone who loves and practices falsehood. I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you about these things for the churches. I am the root and the descendant of David, the bright morning star. And would you read this verse 17 with me aloud? The spirit and the bride say, come, and let the one who hears say, come, and let the one who is thirsty come. Let the one who desires take the water of life without price. I warn everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book. If anyone adds to them, God will add to them the plagues described in this book. And if anyone takes away from the words of the book of this prophecy, God will take away his share in the tree of life and in the holy city, which are described in this book. He who testifies to these things says, Surely I am coming soon. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with you all. Amen. The word of the Lord. It's an honor and a privilege and a pleasure to be with you this morning. And I'm so glad you're here. And can you believe it? We're finishing the book of Revelation. I feel like you all deserve a trophy. Uh, yeah. It's been an encouragement, and it's given us such needed perspective, right, for a challenging year. But before we look at God's Word together, let's pray. I want to take a moment for us to just sit in God's presence together before and after this text. Let's pray. Our Father, we come to you today um, needing your help even to come. Lord, you alone know our 
the distance some of us are feeling towards you, and maybe that's, maybe that's a real thing. Maybe we're practicing things we shouldn't. Maybe we're not, we're not seeking your face. Lord, others, we, we need to hear. We need to hear the encouragement of what Christ has done for us and that we're saved by faith alone. We're saved by works, but not ours. Jesus' perfect works. Lord, uh, we, we pray for our world as we sit here this morning. We could go on and on with the sufferings and difficulties and controversies that are out there. Lord, we pray. We pray that we would be faithful in this world. All the philosophies and ideas and temptations that want to uh, push and pull on us and, and tempt us away from you. Lord, we pray that you teach us how to be steadfast on the gospel, with the gospel. And Lord, we thank you for this book of Revelation. And as we hear, as we finish, and as we hear what you want us to do with it, we just, we pray for open spiritual eyes and open spiritual ears and soft spiritual hearts. Help me to teach this faithfully, Lord. Help us each to receive it uh, and what you have for us in it. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So we began working through this book July 26th, 2020. And today we complete that journey. I think uh, as we encounter this last passage, you could forgive someone for wondering, why didn't Revelation end with verses four to five? I wonder if anybody else had that thought. Verses four to five in chapter 22 said, they'll see his face, his name will be on their foreheads, night will be no more, they'll need no light or lamp or sun, for the Lord God will be their light and they'll reign forever and ever. Wouldn't that just sound like a nice, ah? Oh. It's like the, it's the ultimate happy ending, right? It's the true happy ending, and we ride off, you know, into the, the sunset of heaven. But instead, you get verses uh, that we're going to look at today. You get verses 6 to 21, and it's, uh, it's a little punchy. Um, there, there's some strong warnings. And you think, well, why does Revelation end like this? Well, it's another reminder, isn't it? Such an important reminder about what this book is mainly after. The way so many people want to read Revelation is, what does Revelation say about what will happen in the end? But that's not the way Revelation wants you to read the book of Revelation. Revelation wants you to read the book of Revelation like this. How should I live now because I know Jesus is king and will come back again at the end? Do you hear the difference between asking what will happen versus asking how should I live? They're both important. In fact, what will happen motivates and inspires and enables how we should live. But so many want to read Revelation like everything just happens out there apart from us and has nothing to do with this other than to be curious and, you know, toy with some conspiracy theories. But no, this book ends like this because it's actually, I heard one pastor say it, you know, we're watching kind of the movie of the book. And it's actually like at the end, Jesus comes and speaks into the camera. Did you, did you see who's talking all through 6 to 21? Jesus is talking. And who's he talking to? He's talking to his churches. The, the letter began with Jesus' letter to the seven churches, seven literal actual churches. This, this was an epistle to them. In a way, it's a fourth John. 
It's a letter to churches, real churches. And in the, fact, in the reality that it's a letter to Christian churches, it's a letter to all God's churches, just like Romans, just like 1 Corinthians, rightly understood. And so Jesus begins speaking with his churches, and he ends speaking with his churches. And it's as if almost he takes us out to coffee, I guess, if we could. And, and what if he did, and what if he looked you in the eye and said, so what are you going to do with Revelation? What are you going to do with what I showed you about myself in Revelation? And uh, if you're humble or threatened by that, a good question would be, Lord, what would you like me to do with Revelation? <laughs> that's, that's fair, okay? What would you like me to do with Revelation? Well, guess what these verses are about? 6 to 21 are about what Jesus wants you to do with Revelation. This is what he wants us to do with it. Uh, It would be interesting to talk and think about what he doesn't say about what he wants us to do with Revelation. Just one example, he doesn't say, make sure you get all the dates right on the current events things. That that verse is not in here. it'll, It'll be a little different. It'll be a little bit different. It'll sound like, a faithful Christian life. Jesus holds his people responsible for his revelation that he gives them. And so I think this morning, it it helps us to understand it and remember it. uh, I think we can summarize it in five main things. Five, Five main things Jesus wants his church to do with revelation. So this is his word to all his church is his word to us this morning. And, and just by the way, before we get there, five main things Jesus wants us to do with Revelation. If these things don't happen in us, we've wasted Revelation. These are the things that Jesus has for us. And they're ours, right? By the power of the Holy Spirit, in his grace, these are things he wants to give to us as we trust him. So let's be praying even as we listen. This is what I'm praying This morning for our church, this morning I'm praying for myself, let's pray that by God's grace, this will happen in you and will happen in us for God's glory. So here we go. Five things Jesus wants us to do with the book of Revelation. Number one, I think we see in verses six to seven, Jesus calls us to trust the certainty of God's promises. Jesus calls us to trust the certainty of God's promises. Look in your Bibles at verses six to seven. Uh, And he said to me, these words are trustworthy and true. And the Lord, the God of the spirits of the prophets has sent his angel to show his servants what must soon take place. And behold, I am coming soon. I think in verses six to seven, we see three certainties. First of all, what's the first certainty in verse six? These words are trustworthy and true. The second thing we see, these words come from the Lord who reveals himself and what he's doing in his word. You see that? The Lord, the God of the spirits of the prophets, has sent his angel to show his servants. God, throughout all of revelatory history, is revealing himself through his prophets. So Genesis to Deuteronomy, Moses, the rest of the Old Testament, other prophets, 
the New Testament, the apostles, God reveals his trustworthy words by his spirit to the prophets who write it for us and we hold it and study it and share it and fellowship over it. The certainty is these words are true and God reveals himself. And of course, what's the the greatest revelation of God? And the word tells you. It's Jesus Christ, the ultimate word. You want to see the Father? Jesus says, look at me. So we see Jesus in all these promises about him from the Old Testament. We see him in the Gospels, these eyewitness accounts. We see him by the power of his spirit as we consider the epistles. We've seen him in this revelation. The book is titled Revelation because it's not, I'll reveal to you crazy things that will happen in the future. No, it's called Revelation because it says Jesus is revealing himself to his church. And so we see the certainties of God's word, of God's truth. It just reminds us of this fundamental reality for Christians is Christians are those who trust God's truth. What's your authority for truth? You know, if you're having a a conversation with a friend who's not quite in line with Christianity or is kind of flirting some things outside of Christianity, or maybe that's you today, you're wondering about Christianity, a key question for all of us is what's your authority? How do you know what life is for? How do you know about the design of humans and how they work? How do you know what's right and wrong? How do you know who God is and what he's called you to? How do you know? So many people want to just use opinions or visions or dreams or suspicions or wonderings. What's the answer for how you know? What's our authority? We say sola scriptura, right? That's the Latin for scripture alone. This is our authority This is how we know, and it's not just how we know, it's how we're saved, and it's how we're transformed. You know, John, who wrote Revelation, also wrote the Gospel of John. Do you remember what Pontius Pilate said as he interviewed Jesus before he sent him to the cross? What is truth? Isn't that interesting? And it was with the attitude of, eh, what is truth? Your truth, my truth. The first postmodernist, you know, it's like 80, 80, 30 something, right? What is, what is truth? Oh, my word. How would you answer that? No, as Christians, we know God has communicated the truth of all, about all things, about, him, about all the things that we need to know him and answer those ultimate questions from his word. And, and of course, the word takes us to the person of truth, Jesus himself. What did Jesus say in John 14, 6? I am the way. I, Jesus says, am the truth. He's the truth. That's a claim to divinity, isn't it? Uh, I'm the life, he says. No one comes to the Father except through me. Do, Do you see already the connection between the truth and life and the way to get there? These aren't separate. These are the same. The truth of Jesus is the way to enjoy life true life. Look at how Jesus prays for his people. John 17, 17. Sanctify them in the what? The truth. So sanctify means to 
to make you more like Christ, to, to adjust you so deeply that you love what the Lord loves, that your mind is renewed to think the way he thinks, to be conformed to the image of Jesus, to be transformed by the Holy Spirit in your life. Sanctify them, and, and what is it that we're, we're sanctified in the what? In the truth, and where's the source of that truth, Jesus says. Your word is truth. So as we, as we look at these first verses in Revelation 22, these words are trustworthy and true. God's revealed himself. He's showing us what must soon take place, and then the third certainty. He's showing what must soon take place, and then we go to verse seven. And you know, when, when you hear, he's showing what must soon take place, what do, you, what do you wanna know about in the Indiana Jones conspirator part of your heart? Come on, you're, you're a little interested, right? Oh, the, the dates work up with uh, th- these countries and, uh, and that leader. I mean, he's showing you what's coming soon, and we're like, oh. Uh, what's coming soon in verse seven, church? Behold, I am coming soon. I'm coming soon. That's of what is supposed to be on your mind. He's coming soon. He's been saying that from the, from the beginning, and we might say, well, your definition of soon and mine are different, right? <laughs> 2,000 years. Yeah, they are a little different. You could, read, you could read in Peter about that, a day with the Lord is like 1,000 years, and he delays because he's still saving people. The, the, the emphasis on soon isn't necessarily chronological. It's two things. Number one, he's ready to come. And as far as the chapters on redemptive history goes, the next thing is Jesus comes. It's imminent. It's just, it's, it's right around, the, it's the next thing. And he's ready to come. And when he comes, he'll come swiftly. That's what it means too. Like a thief and he'll come with all of it. All that he is, he's coming soon. So we, we think about taking, what do we do with this book and the certainty of God's promises? It's pushing us to rely heavily on God's word, rely heavily on the promises of Jesus Christ, knowing especially he's coming soon. Some core truths from this book that have been helpful for me. Number one, Christians will endure tribulation. Did you need to hear that? I need to hear it. Christians will endure tribulation. How many of you, tribulation comes, you're tempted to think, what did I do wrong? God must not like me. Now, I'm not saying that sometimes we can't cause our own suffering by being fools. I mean, that's, I know from experience. Um, but, but tribulation is the norm, Revelation shows us. There will be pressures to pull you away from Jesus. You're, you're in a broken world. Hardship does not at all mean he doesn't love you. In fact, that's another part of the promise we see all through the book is Jesus knows and loves and keeps his people. He keeps them. Imagery of they're measured, they're counted. He loves them, he keeps them. There's tribulation, we're known, loved, and kept, and he's coming soon. And Jesus wants you to know, as you read Revelation, he wants you to trust the certainty of his promises. Think of God's resume as far as making and keeping promises throughout the Bible. It must have been hard for Abraham and Sarah to believe they were going to have a son. Wouldn't it be hard? Because they were old, right? Old. What happened? They had a son. It, it must have been hard to believe Israel, who was just a, 
nobody group of slaves would be delivered from Egypt, the most powerful nation in the world. It'd be hard to believe. What happened? They were delivered. It, I think it was hard for David to believe he was, he was going to be king when he's hiding in a cave and Saul and the armies are passing by. And guess what happened? He became king. You know, it'd be really hard to believe that Israel would come back to the land and have a city and a temple again after exile to Babylon. That just does not happen. And what happened? They came back. It must be hard to believe that the Messiah was going to come. Remember, there's like 400 years where there weren't even prophets speaking regularly. And all you had was this revelation from centuries ago about the one who would come. It seems like he's never going to come. But guess what? He came. And it must have been hard to believe on Friday night when Jesus was dead that he would rise. And guess what? He rose. It might be hard to believe that Jesus is coming back, but guess what? He's coming back. Jesus calls us to believe the certainty of his promises. And the more you know and love this, the more this alone will transform your life. Because you'll be in them, you'll be studying them, you'll be meditating on them. It will change the way you look at things and the way you live. One example, look at 2 Peter 1.4. He, that's God, has granted to us his precious and very great promises. Isn't it true? They're precious and they are very great. So that through them, you may become partakers of what? The divine nature. Having escaped from the corruption that's in the world because of sinful desire. Your desires are changed as you love and trust in and treasure the precious and very great promises of God. So that's the first thing. Jesus calls us, as a result of encountering revelation, to trust the certainty of his word and his promises. Pray for, the, pray for that in yourself. Cultivate that in yourself. Pursue God according to his promises. I'll just ask one question here. Are you getting in your word how often and with what attitude? Are you, are you spending time with the Lord in prayer and in his word to study and know and treasure his promises? And are you doing it with the attitude of he's changing me and drawing me near? I encourage you to do that. I think the Lord does as well. Second, second thing Jesus wants you to do. Jesus calls us to be careful to worship God alone and that with obedience. So I'll say it again, if you want to write it down. I'll say it again so you can remember. You make me really happy if you come up after the sermon and tell me my five points. I'll be so happy. Uh, the first one, just, just if you're like, ooh, I got to write that down. Okay, the first one was trust the certainty of God's promises in his word. Second, Jesus calls you to be careful to worship God alone and that with obedience. Did you know there are, well, I'll ask, how many blessings do you think there are in the book of Revelation? And you've got a couple options, but it's one of those numbers, right? Seven. And of course, you're like, of course, of course there's seven blessings, right? This one is the sixth of the seven. Blessed is the one who keeps the words of the prophecy of this book. That's chapter 22, verse 7. This is Jesus saying to us, blessed is the one who keeps the words of the prophecy of this book. 
What does blessing mean? It's to be happy in the love and favor of God. Happy in the love and favor of God. You'll be blessed. How do you enjoy blessing? You keep the words of the prophecy of this book. Think of the action word here. Who's doing something? You are keeping the words of this prophecy. Again, it's interesting. So many want to read Revelation like it's something that happens way out there. We'll watch it on the news. But Jesus is saying, you keep it. You do something with it. It's interesting. How do you keep the book of Revelation? I think think we're shown here the main point. Because look at verses 8 to 9. It's unexpected. It's almost shocking. Chapter 22, 8 to 9. I, John, am the one who heard and saw these things. And when I heard and saw them, I fell down to worship at the feet of the angel who showed them to me. I'm impressed with John for mentioning this. You know, if I was writing this and it was to me, I might have, like, left that part out. <laughs> the apostle. Uh, we, can, we can empathize. I've never seen a holy and glorious angel. I'm sure that would be overwhelming. Why this picture right here? Look at what the angel says to him. You must not do that. I'm a fellow servant with you and your brothers, the prophets, and with those, of, those who keep the words of this book. And then what does the angel tell him? Worship God. Do you hear that? Don't worship me, the angel says. Worship God. And what's this little mini story of John supposed to show you? You should doubt yourself a little bit. You should doubt your own strength to stay on the straight and narrow a little bit. If the apostle John, the beloved who sat with Jesus, can, can get nudged into worshiping not God, do you think you're immune? I mean, I've heard it said truth is like a narrow, a narrow cliff, right, with falls into error on either side. And uh, there's, a, there's a kind of martial arts, maybe somebody knows, where you use, pe- where you use the, the opponent's weight against them, their leverage, judo. Uh, anyway, you guys know what it is, right? I think Satan is like that. I think he's like that because he gets you moving in a direction. Or then if you move in another direction to correct, he's like, I'll give you a boost. And I'll just, as long as I throw you off the side, I'm good. And so there's a version of, oh, I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna practice sin, heck with, rebel, or with religion, I'm just gonna be you know, total rebellious. Or there's the, no, I'm good on my own, I follow the rules. We keep the law around here. And, and, we, and, and we're watching if you don't. It, it's easy, isn't it? Or speak the truth in love. Which one are you falling off on? <laughs> right? Isn't it difficult? Which one are you going to do? Are you going to be loving or are you going to speak the truth? If you drop all the truth, there is no love. If you drop all the love, there is no truth. Or Jesus says, be in the world and not of it. That one's hard. 
You don't, you don't want to be so in the world that nobody can, you're like a secret agent Christian. No one has a clue that you love Jesus. You're kind of nice, and I guess they don't cuss as much as other people. Uh, they have no clue about Jesus. You're, you're just in the world. On the other hand, we're, there's some, it, it seems like it's so easy to be so holy, we don't even know or care about people who don't know Jesus anymore. We have no relationships with them. They've never been to our house. Not one non-Christian would call us a friend. It's not like Jesus. Do you see the difficulty of being right where we should be? And John is showing us that. The key is to worship God alone. That's how you keep this book. There were pressures on these churches from tribulation, from persecution, from suffering, from false teachers, all these things. And everyone is trying to push them off worshiping God alone through Jesus Christ. And the way they do that is to change what you obey. Everyone worships. Did you know that? Everyone worships, even if an atheist worship. It's what you love the most and it's what you serve. And, and the reason I say that is because worship and obedience always go together. They, they always go together. Whatever you're obeying, that's what you're worshiping. Whatever you're worshiping, that's what you will obey. And so we're called here to worship God with obedience. Isn't, wasn't this theme at the heart of the seven letters of the churches? Um, Ephesus, you lost your first love. Worship God alone through Christ alone. Smyrna, be faithful through persecution. Keep worshiping God alone. Pergamum, false teachers are saying syncretism is okay. I want to use that word today. Do you know syncretism? It's kind of mushing together different religions, and it's usually for the sake of comfort. Take a little from this one because I like that, kind of need it, but I'll take some of that one because I want that too. It's like picking your favorite flavor at the ice cream shop. Syncretism. And that was popular as this false teaching of the day. Um, So Pergamum, you've got false teachers saying you can worship Jesus and participate in idolatry. No, worship God alone. Thyatira, same thing. They had influencers teaching participation in the idolatry of the time is okay, syncretism. Idol worship, sexual deviancy, it's okay. No, Jesus says, stop, worship God alone. Philadelphia, hold fast through persecution. Keep worshiping God alone. Laodicea, I don't know who you're worshiping, it's not me. Worship God alone and worship him with obedience. Didn't Jesus make that clear? John 14, 15. If you love me, what's Jesus' love language? Keep my commands. Keep my commands. No, don't keep my commands to earn my love. That's not how this works. I love you. You're saved by grace through faith. But if you love me, you keep my commandments. But even then, Jesus doesn't leave you out on your own to do that, does he? Look, I will ask the Father and he'll give you another helper. The Holy Spirit, church, is with us to help us and motivate us to worship God as we keep his commands. And then, of course, when we don't keep his commands, read First John. We confess our sins. We go back to the gospel. He's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And we get up and we start again to love God and worship him alone by keeping his commands. So I think that's how verses 10 to 12 fit in here, or at least 10 and 11. Look here, you see a warning. 
It's a strange, strange little section. Verse 10, he said to me, do not seal up the words of the prophecy of this book for the time is near. Let the evildoers still do evil, the filthy still be filthy, the righteous still do right, the holy still be holy. Anyone confused? Uh, don't seal up the prophecy. And then like, you're encouraging evil people to keep doing evil things? What does this mean? Well, I'll say it one more time. How do you read the book of Revelation? Biblically and symbolically. This one's not so much symbolic, but it's certainly biblical. Where do you look to understand what is seen as strange in Revelation? Where do you look? Look to the Old Testament. And this helps here. This is clearly a reference to Daniel. And so when Daniel's receiving his visions, the angel says, seal up the prophecy. And basically it's like, I've told you what's gonna happen in general, but just hang on to it because you don't get it yet. And who is, do you think is the key to unpack it all? Who's the son of man? Who's the king? You know, it's Jesus. And so now that Jesus is revealed, it's no more, hey, shut this up. Now it's open it up because it's all about Jesus. He fulfills it all. He makes it all work. He's the one who holds the key. But look at Daniel 12, 9 to 10. I think it helps with our passage here. Daniel 12, 9 to 10. Um, Daniel hears, go your way, Daniel, for the words are shut up and sealed until the time of the end. Huh? Which means now that we have re- revelation, guess what time we're in? The end. Many shall purify themselves and make themselves white and be refined, but the wicked shall act wickedly. None of the wicked shall understand, but those who are wise shall understand. What do you think the point of this is? It's in the context of God speaking and revealing himself and the need for people to respond to it. And the wise will, by God's grace, and the wicked will hear it and not want it. I think the attitude is like this. Jesus reveals himself, and specifically here he's revealing himself to his church, right? This isn't first a tract for people who've never heard about Jesus. Revelation is primarily to his church. And so he says, let the wicked do what they're going to do. Let the righteous do what they're going to do. It, it's, it sounds a lot like when Jesus says, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. I've, I've spoken it to you. I've told you what's going to happen. I've told you the tribulation here. I've told you the temptations here. I've told you what it means to follow me faithfully. You going to do it? Let the wicked do wickedly. You know, when I was younger, I had some, some bad spots. And I thought, you know what? I want to kind of flirt with sin a little bit and have some fun. Because sin is fun, right? I guess for a little bit. I'm going to flirt with sin and have fun, and then I'll come back later. You ever had that thought? I'll come back later. Let the wicked keep on doing what's wicked. This is meant to be a warning. Which one are you as shown by your life? That's why I'm putting it in this category on obedience. Worship God with obedience. Who do you worship as shown by your obedience? Because it's so easy to say, oh, I worship Jesus, and then have no concern for obedience. And this text tells you, let the wicked keep doing wickedly. It, it, it calls you to take a look at the path of your life and say, which one am I? 
because the call of the book of Revelation is to worship God alone through Jesus Christ. And the, the fruit of that is what? What's the fruit? Obedience. It's obedience. The whole thing of obedience. So if you want to meditate on this, I, I think a great a great passage is something like uh, the middle of Ephesians, the middle of, of Colossians, where it calls Christians to certain attitudes, lifestyles, behaviors. And ponder yourself and obedience. But look, you, you can tell it's a warning, right? Because Revelation twenty two twelve, 12, right after he says, let the wicked do what they're gonna do, let the righteous do what they're gonna do. You know, which one are you? Are you worshiping me with obedience? Verse 12, behold, I'm coming soon. There it is again. And what's Jesus bringing? Bringing my recompense. Anybody know what that is? Uh, it's, it's like well, you reap what you sow and you're about to reap it. You're either going to get restitution, vindication, because you're one of his. And, we're gonna, and by grace, he's going to give us our inheritance. Or... You get the just penalty of his wrath. And I think, in all honesty, it would be especially bad for people who pretended to be Christians, went to church a lot, and never did anything with it. And look at who he is, verse 13, the one bringing recompense. I'm the alpha, the omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. It shows you, it shows you a lot of things. Jesus is eternally God, right? This is, this is so clear throughout the book. He is one with the Father. He is God, truly God, truly man. But also, if that's the one bringing recompense, I, I think that's part of the question. Where will you go to run? To whom will you intercede if you can't plea to him? There's no one else. So this is a warning and encouragement. What should you do with revelation? First thing, trust the certainty of God's promises in his word. Number two, worship God alone with, with what? Obedience. And check yourself, church. Just check yourself. Be, humbly check yourself. Because if John can accidentally fall into the error, do I think I can't? Do you think you can't? Worship God alone with obedience. Third, Jesus calls us to heed and share the invitation of the gospel. Look at verse 14. Blessed are those who wash their robes so that they may have the right to the tree of life and they may enter the city by the gates. Well, of course, you're saying, right? Here's the seventh of seven blessings. So speaking the language of Revelation, if it's the seventh, seventh, what does that mean? This, this is the ultimate. This is the best. And what is the best and seventh ultimate greatest blessing? What does he tell you to do? Verse 14. Wash your robes. Here we are struggling again, right? Uh, wash your robes. What, what is it that gets you the blessing? Wash your robe. What she's telling you to do, church? Wash your robe. What does that mean? Robe signifies who you are before God. It's your positional standing before him, your identity, and your legacy. It's how you've lived. Your robe is who you are before God. That's what it signifies. And what do you need to do? Wash it. Why do you need to wash your robe? 
that's not complicated. It's because it's dirty. But think, think of this invitation. It's also a, he's telling the truth. If the robe signifies your life, you're dirty. On your own, right? You've sinned before God. How many of you have not worshiped God alone through obedience perfectly or all the time or all the way? I mean, we're all just, ah, I, haven't, I'm, I haven't done that like I should. None of us have. Wash your robe. You've got, it's dirty. You need to get it clean. How do you wash your robe, church? Look, at, look back at Revelation 7, 14. And he said to me, John sees this group of people. Who are these people? These are the ones coming out of the great tribulation. They have washed their robes and made them white. Where? In the blood of the lamb. The blood of the lamb. Here's the picture of the gospel. Jesus is the priest who offers himself as the lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world for you. So the way you wash your robe primarily, fundamentally, is to trust yourself to Jesus to save you and make you right with God. His blood stains your robe white. So if you trust God, God will count you righteous, innocent, perfect with the righteousness of Jesus. His works accounted to your life. His death on the cross, taking away your sin. We are saved by God's grace, his undeserved love, through faith alone in Christ alone. You've got a dirty robe? Me too. Trust Jesus. And live in the light of that. Because look what it does for us, trusting Christ. Revelation 1.5. To him, church, you need to hear this. To him who what? He loves us. Did you know that today? He loves you. To him who has freed us from our sins by his blood. So he's freed you from the penalty of sin, the judgment you deserve. He's also freed you from the power of sin. You can fight it now. You can beat it now. Not perfectly, but absolutely growing in it, moving in it. Because look, he's freed us from our sins by his blood and made us a kingdom, priest to his God and Father. It's this new identity of in Christ living for his glory, to love and serve him. Heed the invitation. And the reason I call it an invitation is because look at verses 16 to 17. I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you about these things for the churches. Now Jesus will talk about who he is. I'm the root and descendant of David, the bright morning star. Again, we find out about that from the Old Testament. David is God's promised king. One of his descendants is gonna reign forever. And Jesus says, I'm the descendant of David. So what does that mean? I'm the one from the Davidic line who's gonna reign forever. But he doesn't just say I'm the descendant of David. I think this is really amazing. What else did he say he was? He was the root of David. So did he come from the lineage of David or did he create and start it? Yes. He's the God-man. He has accomplished the salvation he has planned. And he's inviting you, come to me. He's also the morning star. That's this seemingly obscure passage all the way back in numbers, hundreds of hundreds of years ago, the one who's gonna come 
is like a star. He's going to bring the dawn. That's the idea of a morning star. When you see morning star, night's still here, but dawn's coming. Who's going to bring the new creation? Jesus, who gives new life? Jesus. So look at who he is and then hear the message. The spirit and the bride say, come. Let the one who hears say, come. Let the one who is thirsty, come. Let the one who desires take the water of life without price. Do you hear the invitation? Jesus is always inviting people to come. Come. And the only thing keeping you from coming is your lack of desire to come to him. If you want to challenge me on that, let the one who is thirsty come. What do you need for Jesus to receive you and save you and change you? Want him. Want him. That's what you need. He will take care of the rest. So if you're like, I messed it up too much, I can't come. No, Jesus says, I got that. I got that. I'm a fool. I've screwed it up. I have regrets. Ah, Jesus says, I've got that. Do you know how weak I am? Do you know how I can't figure? I've got that too. Do you want me? If you want him, you can have him. Come. What an invitation. Come wash your robes. Come trust Christ. The Spirit. What's the Spirit saying? The Holy Spirit of God. Come to Jesus. What's the church saying? Come to Jesus. We want to say that every morning. And I hope you're working and praying to say it to someone throughout the week. And I guess I want to ask, when you talk about Jesus to somebody, is it in the spirit of a gracious invitation? That's the spirit of this passage. I mean, yeah, should it be said there's, there's a harsh reap what you sow when you reject Jesus and won't obey him? Absolutely, it has to be said. It's in this passage. But even in the, even in the, the, the trembling of that in the background, did, did you hear what the Spirit and the bride and Jesus, did, did you hear what they're saying? Come. Just come. Uh, wouldn't it be great if the, if, the, if the world we're connected to, the world you're connected to, they had this idea that, you know what, they, they are so happy about Jesus to where if, even if they're not convinced yet, they're like, there's something about it I kind of wish I had. And they're always saying, hey, just come. That's what the church is saying. Let's say it. He offers life. And look at verse 15. There's a warning if we won't take the invitation. Those who wash their robes go into the city, right? They get the new life. They get the life of God. They get fellowship with God, etc. But outside are the dogs, the sorcerers, the sexually immoral, the murderers, idolaters, and everyone who loves and practices falsehood. You need to come. It is come or else. Come or else. And I think this passage fits in here because these are behavior practices of those who've run to other gospels and thirsted for other drinks. So dogs, how do you feel about that use of the word? Outside of the dogs, oh. Well, again, you'd want to look through Scripture at how that word is used. It tends to emphasize, you know, dogs aren't planning ahead, like, for their 401K, you know? It tends to emphasize people who live for now and are destructive because of that. 
But very strangely, in Philippians 3, Paul's talking about self-righteous religious people who trust in the law for their salvation, and you know what he calls them? Dogs. Wow. Looking for righteousness apart from Christ. Sorcerers. The Greek word is pharmacia, but I'm sure this is not about modern pharmacies. Not that pharmaceutical companies can't be corrupt like everything else in this world. There's a reason the All the Bible translators used sorcery. It's about flirting with the idolatry of the age. That's a broad category. But there are things that want to get you to trust in and love, what? Not Jesus. And be submitted to what? Not his word. For the power of it. For the control of it. Christianity is too submissive for many. The sexual immoral, we remember, we've been over this many times. God's designed for sexual expression and practice. One man, one, one woman, and monogamous covenant of marriage that displays the gospel. That's why it fits here, because deviating from it denies the gospel. And so this behavior is in the shadow of the invitation of the gospel. If you come to him, you're going to want to live in a way that glorifies him with your body and your relationships. And then falsehood, that's that teaching of syncretism, fake versions of Christianity. All of these have in some way refused the invitation to heed, to share the gospel. And so they're outside. It's a warning. But listen, there's still the invitation. If you have been any of these, and in some way we've all been one of them, haven't we? Guess what? Guess where we can go? We can come. As long, Hebrew says, as long as today is today, come, come now. When should you come to Jesus? That's the answer. When should you come? Come now. He'll take care of it. So that's, okay, where have we been? Believe the promises, the certainty of the promises. Worship God alone through obedience. Heed and share the invitation of the gospel forth. We're getting there, verse 18 and 19. I warn everybody who hears the prophecy of this book, if anyone adds to them, God will add to him the plagues described in this book. If anyone takes away the words of this prophecy, God will take away a share in the tree of life and the holy city, which are described in this book. What is Jesus saying about what you should do with his book? Don't mess with the book. Add to it? No. Take from it? No. Don't mess with the book. Be faithful to the book. Again, the Old Testament helps us. Uh, it's an echo of Deuteronomy chapter 4. Look at Deuteronomy 4.2. You shall not add to the word that I command you or take from it that you may keep the commandments of the Lord your God that I command you. Your eyes have seen what the Lord did at Baal Peor for the Lord your God destroyed from among you all the men who followed the Baal. That context helps. What did some of these Israelite worshipers follow? An idol. Do you see how that helps us understand? Why would you add or take away from the book? It's because you want to serve and worship something not the God of the book. I've experienced this tragically, haven't you? Someone who seems like a Christian all of a sudden has problems with the Bible, doubts, and then you realize they also have a deep desire to disobey it or to be welcomed by those who disobey it. It's striking to me. That's just my experience. Doubts with the Bible sometimes start with a desire to disobey it. Now, if you have, if you have questions about the Bible, I want to help you with those. 
Questions are important. They're a hard text to figure out. I'm not denying the importance of questions. If you, let's talk about those doubts. Let's ask those questions. Let's understand. But, and be careful. The reason we want to add and take from the book is sometimes because we want to disobey it. And that's the context here. And think of all the emphasis on revelation on false teaching. Israel wanted to worship Baal, so we'll change the book a little bit. The Pharisees wanted to worship their self-made religion. No, we'll add to the book a little bit with our traditions. The seven churches were pressured to this. Each generation will face its own challenge to add or take away from Revelation, or I think it works for the Bible as a whole, from the Bible as a whole, to add or take away a legalism or a licentiousness. There's a million ways it occurs. Don't mess with the book. Cling to the book. This is our authority. And we'll be told, no, Jesus isn't the only way to God. We'll be told, no, he's not fully man. No, he's not truly God. No, no, you're not saved by faith alone. No, you don't need to obey his his commandments. No, you don't add this. This is what you need to do instead. Jesus plus, you'll be told in a thousand different ways. This is what humanity's like. This is how we fix ourselves. This is how, what's Jesus telling you? Cling to the book. It's gonna be a challenge for us, I think, in coming years. There are parts of this book It may be a hate crime one day to think it. Cling to the book. Cling to the book. And make sure you don't become worldly in your response to the world. Do you know what I'm saying? Isn't it hard? I mean, what happens when you feel threatened? I know what happens to me. Fight or flight, right? That's what, when we feel threatened, fight or flight. And when you, when you feel culture impinging in maybe on your faith, you're worried, fight or flight. Do we run or do we like gas up, right? And, and we, we got to stand for truth somehow. But isn't it easy to stand for truth like a wrecking ball? Look at 1 Timothy 2.24. I think it's important in this context. Now just remember the context of what Timothy has to do. Do you know what Timothy has to do? It's the worst. He has to confront false teachers in a church. It's so hard. It's so hard to confront people. It's so hard to confront leaders. He has to stand for truth. And Paul's like, hey, by the way, as you stand for truth, remember this. Make sure you're standing for truth as you stand for truth. The Lord's servant must not, must not be what? Quarrelsome. If you think you're standing for truth when you're quarrelsome, try again but kind to who? Everyone, even the false teacher. It's the context of the letter. Able to teach, patiently enduring evil, correcting his opponents with what? Gentleness. Are we called to correct our opponents when there's false teachers in the church? Absolutely. We're unfaithful if we don't do it. Absolutely, and we become the false teacher if our methods are not centered on the gospel. So we see it, cling to the book, 
Cling to the book without compromise. All right, here we go. Last one. What have we said so far? What does Jesus want us to do with Revelation? Number one, trust the certainty of his promises. Number two, worship God alone and that with obedience. Number three, heed and share the call of the gospel. Number four, be faithful to the book. Be faithful to the book. The fifth one, hope in his return, relying on his grace. Look at these last two verses. He who testifies to these things says, surely I'm coming soon. There it is again. He said it again. When is Jesus coming? Soon. And the church says, amen. And did you see what the church says after that? Come, Lord Jesus. Do you know you're supposed to pray for it? And Peter, it says we can hasten the return of Jesus. Do you want Jesus to come? Pray that your heart would be warm towards Jesus coming and that your hope would grow being set on Jesus coming. Come, Lord Jesus. And as we wait, look at these last words of the last book. I love them. What are they saying? The grace of the Lord Jesus be with all. What's the power for any and all of this to to follow what Jesus has said to us? What's the power? It's his grace. It's his love. It's his help. The environment of this is not, all right, I've done some stuff for you. Now get going and I'll watch and see. That's not it. I'm with you to help you to the end. That's the attitude of this. We rely on his grace. Look at Hebrews 13, 9. I think it sums up Revelation well. Do not be led away by diverse and strange teachings. For it is good. Isn't this interesting? Why not be led away by strange teachings? For it's good for the heart to be strengthened by grace. Because you know, you, know, you know what all those other religions and ideas and philosophies and behaviors don't have in them? They don't have grace. And what do you love the most? What do you need the most? Grace, his undeserved love for me that makes me right with him, that gives me fellowship with him, that helps me be like him. Friends, let's hope in his return and let's rely on his grace. Let's pray. Lord, help us to do what you want us to do with revelation. I pray, O Lord, that you would humble us each and show us what you're saying, especially to us, you know, individually in the context of our own lives, that you would be the one speaking the encouragement or the confrontation that we need, and we would would run to you, we'd believe you, we'd, we'd hear the call of the gospel. Lord, help us share this call. Help us stand for truth. Help us to worship God alone in the way that you have said. Lord Jesus, we love you. We want you to come soon. Please come soon, we pray, and hold us in your grace. Until then, in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening, and we invite you to visit us Sunday mornings here at Fountain of Life Fellowship. For more information, visit www.folfcrc.com.